As you go to uni, it's our desire as the, the Uni Fellowship of Christians, Hobart and Lonnie, it's probably most of your parents' prayers for you and your church's prayers for you that you continue to obey God in this new phase of life, right? That you hear his words and that you do what he says. That you trust him in his promises to you, that they're good and worth believing. That you delight in his goodness over the, the pleasures of this world. That you seek his approval over human praise, which can be so silly sometimes. And that you love what God loves more and more, that you hate what God hates. Um, but that's a, that will be a struggle. We know it will be a struggle. We live that struggle too. There are many temptations out there. As you go into uni, it's a different kind of thing because there's a degree of freedom and fun and experimentation and rebellion and exploration. And it, it, it can be easy for anybody, including a Christian, to be swept along by that. What's weird about it that you might find this year, maybe some of you already have, uh, is, um, is it's not as bad as they told you it would be. You know, so maybe you were told, oh, the world, um, uni, uh, the culture is dark and evil and wicked and they're, they're all kind of just getting together, boozing up, hitting each other, killing babies, taking drugs or something um, and uh, sweeping you off to worship Satan afterwards. And then you actually begin to meet people and you go, actually, they're nice, they're thoughtful, they're intelligent. Honestly, some of them are nicer, more thoughtful and intelligent than some of the people at church, actually. They, they seem interesting, they seem nice. And so you start to go, oh, well, is God's way the right way? Is, if, if everything they told me about how bad things were, it's not quite that simple, then what else? You know, maybe you start to think, well, no one's watching. I, I can experiment and explore myself. doesn't matter that much. And as you start to chat to people and hear other people's views of you and church and your background, you start to see that people don't think about God as wonderful and great and Jesus as good and, and loving, but instead that, that, that Christianity is stupid or restrictive or old-fashioned or harmful or stifling. It's going to be an interesting year. Some of these things will hit some of you at least. Um, and so as we kick off the year looking at Jonah's experience and thinking about its relevance for us, I want to urge you and I want to encourage you afresh to appreciate uh, an approach this year with grace-inspired, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered resolve to obey God, to follow God. I want to reassure you that when you fail, however, whenever you fail, you can't fall so far that God can't have you back even if you drop to the bottom of the ocean, get swallowed by a gigantic fish, <laughs> you can still cry out to the Lord, he'll have you back. But beyond just believing and obeying of the kind of maybe the moral sort or the religious sort, this book of Jonah is also actually about stirring us up for a particular kind of obedience and trust, an evangelistic obedience and trust. From beginning to end, the book draws us into a missionary call Jonah's call to Nineveh. And it draws us into his mind and his heart and his struggle to accept and obey God's call. He runs the other way, doesn't he, at the start of the, the book? And so as it draws us in and we look into Jonah, it kind of looks into us as well. I hope you get something of that over these three days. Will I be obedient in the area of sharing in God's missionary call to the world? Will I be God-like 
in this area, offering his grace and his message to the world. Will I love what God loves? Will my purposes align with God's purposes? In other words, as you go to uni this year, in the city or down by the docks or here in the Sandy Bay campus or online, will you, don't go think beyond just finding some friends and fitting in. Beyond just figuring out the timetable and where you're meant to be. Um, beyond just getting good marks and stepping into a successful career or finding a partner or, or even beyond just being morally good, I want to encourage you as you go into this year and, and from God's word today in the next few days, uh, we want to recruit you as God is recruiting you to his missionary work. And we want to invite you and recruit you to our missionary societies, the Uni Fellowship of Christians in Hobart and Launceston. Because to obey God is to obey his call to share in the preaching of the gospel of his son. And to be godly in part is to share in God's heart of compassion for a lost world. And to trust God and his promises is partly to trust his promises and purposes that he will actually bear fruit of his word in the world. Well then, let's see how we go, shall we? Let's dive into Jonah chapter 1. Verse 1, and first we have the call of God and Jonah's response. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah here, this prophet, 8th century BC, long time ago, around the time of Isaiah. We read about him in 2 Kings, chapter 14, um, during the reign of Jeroboam II. He's from Gath-Hepha. Two Kings tells us, about an hour's walk from Nazareth in Galilee. The word of the Lord comes to him to preach to Nineveh, and it's a word of judgment, isn't it? Verse 2, go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh was the capital of uh, Assyria, a part of a city district with a few other cities nearby. And Assyria had been a great empire before Jonah's day, had had a, a heyday in the past, and soon it would have another great heyday in the future under emperors with fabulous names like Tiglath-Pileser III, Shalmaneser V, and Sargon II, and Sennacherib. There are some great Bible names for those of you who might have kids one day. <laughs> we'll actually look at some of those um, emperors in uh, semester two in Hobart as we look at the book of Isaiah together. So, so Assyria had been great, and it was going to be great very soon, but in Jonah's lifetime it was relatively weak, stagnant, insofar as imperial powers are concerned, you understand. So, you know, it's, um, but it was still a great power, you see, with a history of great power and a potential to regain that power. It was a non-Jewish, uh, false God-worshipping, ruthless nation from the perspective of Israel. Three things stand out in just this initial call. I just want to point out to you before we move on. The first thing to point out to you is here is the Lord, the God of Israel, saying to Jonah to go to another country, another nation, another city and speak his word to them. For God is the God of all the earth. That's the first thing. Straight away this assumes. He's not just the judge of the Israelites and the God of the Israelites. It's not just what's true for them in their tradition, their culture. It's not just their tribal cultural myth-making. He's the creator God, is the Bible's assumption. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He's the God above all gods, the judge of all the earth. Now Christians often, and rightly say, um, it's not our place to impose everything. 
Actually, can we get rid of this up here? Because it would just be weird because I'm using a different translation and, and I want the people to look at the Bibles for themselves because Dave won't always be there to just pull up a computer screen for you. Like, you wake up in the morning and make a cup of tea and then go, time for some Bible, and then Dave appears. That would be creepy. It's, yeah, we don't offer that service. You wouldn't want it. Um, <laughs> so, so I'll get you looking in yourself. Um, uh, we rightly say, though, back, back to what my train of thought, we rightly say, um, I don't want to impose Christianity on everybody who's not a Christian. And there's, a, that's, there's something right about that. Christians aren't fundamentally the world's policemen, you know. Um, we're not the lawmakers for Australia. We have to work together with people with different views, different values, different beliefs to together figure out how to live together cooperatively, yeah. We've got to be realists about that. And yet at the same time, the Lord is the Lord of all the earth. He is the one who made the whole world. His word and his ways are the words and ways of the creator of everybody. And so there is not coming out of a Christians should tell everyone what to do attitude, but uh, if God has spoken good words, they're good words for our world. And let's contribute that to our conversations uh, in in how uh, to live together, even in secular society. More than that, of course, we don't just want to impose or suggest Christian morality. Ultimately, we want to speak about God's reality, God's word, God's promise, God's salvation, don't we? It's good and loving to share that with the world. So first, I wanted you to note that God is the Lord of all the earth, even Nineveh. Secondly, I want you to note that preaching, biblical preaching, includes the tricky topic of preaching judgment. Go and preach against Nineveh. It feels a bit strange to think Uni Fellowship of Christians exists to preach against the students of UTAS. It doesn't feel so comfortable to say it like that. But faithful preaching does preach on the topic of God's judgment, his justice. Because the reality that we all have been born into is a world that is guilty before God and under his judgment. That is just the reality of life. The truth about God is that he is abounding in love, yes, and slow to anger. He does anger. He's a God of truth, and his truth exposes lies and falsehoods wherever they're found. He's a God of justice, and so confronts injustice and corruption and abuse. He's a God of love, and and in his love he responds in a jealous concern for those he loves when they're mistreated and seeks the right and good love of his precious creation. He's a God of faithfulness, and so he will follow through, both in mercy and in judgment. The great need we have, the great need the world has from God, isn't just handy hits for life from Jesus, your pal, but is actually reconciliation with your creator. And so to have that conversation, you've got to talk about the fact that you're not reconciled to your creator, don't you? To talk about forgiveness, you need to talk about guilt. To talk about eternal life, you need to talk about eternal judgment difficult topics but it's part of the loving path to peace with God to be honest to be true to be faithful to reality to God's word to human experience to human need we have to preach that God is opposed to human guilt his judgment's coming to be loving to be caring to be helpful to guilty human beings we need to talk about the bad news the disease the threat the problem of the judgment of God. 
That means as I try and talk to people about Christianity, sooner or later I have to talk about that topic too. Some people may be shocked or angry, defensive, offended. Uh, But it's part of telling the, the promise of God, the message of God. I don't just want to tell people about philosophical arguments that some kind of God exists maybe, when you think about it, sort of. I don't just want to tell people that God is good in a general way. God loves you, God loves me, God loves us all, come to God, he loves you. I mean, he does. That is a good thing I can tell people. But there's more to the message, isn't there? We don't want to try and spin Christianity to make it just as attractive as possible and and then hope that maybe later on down the track we'll pull out the um, the, the fine print of the mobile phone contract and go, yeah, look, about that. (laughs) We need to have more integrity than that, hey? Because we're not just persuading people of an idea, we're not just wooing people to a product, but we're speaking to people who are in rebellion against God, inviting them to find forgiveness, but also commanding them to turn back before it's too late. Don't shy away from that hard talk about sin and judgment, because that's what produces the right response to God, to turn back to him in repentance and faith, beg him for his mercy, trust in him and him alone. So the God's prophetic call, the Lord of all the earth, even the God of Assyria, sends Jonah to preach a message that even includes the frightful topic of the justice of God. And then so Jonah, well, having read other bits of the Bible, you'd say, you know, Jonah obeys and goes and preaches and off we go. Uh -uh. No. Uh, The end of episode one of this Netflix series ends with Jonah getting up and running away. <laughs> the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, go, go to Assyria, off in the north, off in the west, go and preach. And so Jonah went, I'll go to the south and the east. <laughs> he goes off in the other direction, off he goes. Oh, sorry, the other way around, the north and the east, south and the west. He goes west. He runs away. Verse three, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Go to the north, to the east, to Assyria. Actually, I should do it from your point of view on a map, shouldn't I? So, North and east to Assyria, and he goes, no, go south and west off to Tarshish Joppa. A great thing about the Bible compared to other religious and mythical books is how it's not, I don't know if you've heard the word hagiography before, hagiography. It's a word that means kind of praising the lives of saints. Hagioi, the saints in Greek. And so it's, it's, a, it's a kind of storytelling that says, let me tell you the story of great President Jed and President Josh. They were 10 foot tall and brave and bold and ever so humble. And they ventured out and fed all the thousands and patted them on the heads. And then they had a jogging race together. And they were swift as gazelles. As they <laughs> and on and on we go, right? <laughs> and they won the prize and donated the money to charity. And, and lo, then they sat down and listened to classical music. You know, and watched a critically acclaimed art house film, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and did all their homework early and read the readings for their arts subjects and, and so on. That's hagiography. Have you ever noticed how much the Bible doesn't do that? I mean, there are heroes. David, Moses, Peter. Uh, well, David, yeah, Moses, hmm, Peter. Well. It's honest. They're real people with strengths and flaws just like Jed and Josh, just like me, just like Jonah. 
the problems we encounter in Christian history, if you learn about, I don't know, the Crusades or something, or, or recent Christian history, things like the, the child sex abuse in the church and other things, in one way shouldn't shock a Bible reader because we encounter that kind of disappointing scandal in the pages of our scriptures, don't we? doesn't say trust in perfect human leaders. It says don't even trust your own heart, let alone the hearts of others. We do read in other prophets too, them sometimes arguing with God, complaining with God. Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, as if the Lord didn't realise certain factors they had to bring his attention to. They evade, they excuse themselves, but Jonah takes the cake, he just runs away. <laughs> Scared? Yeah, probably. But also... As we'll see in the final day on Friday, there's something darker going on that chapter 4 reveals to us. But we don't need to know the why for him running away at this point. It's worth just stopping and considering the that. He did run away. Don't worry about the why, just think about the that. Because it's a pretty good way of describing sin, isn't it? Pretty vivid, geographical, athletic way of describing sin. God says something, do the opposite. God says, go there, run there. Pretty vivid, pretty simple. God's word comes to him, God speaks, he hears, but he doesn't receive, doesn't trust, doesn't obey, runs away. Doesn't give thanks and worship to the God who made him, who created his nation, Israel, and chose them, and gave promises and covenants to them. He blocks his ears, puts his little earbuds in, and cranks up the classical music, um, and he says, no. He, he sees God coming from a distance and pretends he's gotten a text message and looks away. That's sin, really, isn't it? Saying no to God. Turning from his good word. And what about you guys? What's your response to God's word? Do, do you find yourself going, God speaks and I say, ah, oh, nah, I don't believe that. Or it's even easier these days. You can you go, oh, God speaks, and then I go, surely there's someone on Google who says God doesn't really say that after all, you know, and you find Pastor Google who says, oh, don't worry about that bit. If you can't turn it sideways and it's slowly pulling away from your nose, it pops out in 3D and says something else, you know. <laughs> um, or, or do we, look, I mean, yeah, there, are, there can be issues with interpretation. There can be, I'm not denying that, but, but is, is our immediate stance, if God says something we don't want to welcome, we don't want to trust, we don't like, to be like Jonah, to run away, to close our hearts and our ears. When something comes up that God says that we know others won't like, we turn down the volume, skip ahead. I don't want to obey that. That'll be hard. I'll miss out on the thing if I... No, no, God's word's good. He's your creator. He loves you. He made you. He wants what's best for you. He's our loving Father. His true, wise words are a lamp to our feet. His serious, authoritative words are the words of the King and the Judge of all things. Life-giving words for the one who gives everlasting life. It's good. It's a good thing to treasure God's word, to listen to God's word, to trust God's word, to obey God's word. At uni, on the weekend, in the, at the party, in your bedroom, online, be someone who hears and trusts God's word, won't you? Judgment comes on Jonah. That's the next sort of phase of the story, the call and his response. Secondly, the judgment that comes on him. 
It's a great story. It, bad, it's a great story. You know, if it's a, episode two, the Netflix series, runs away from God, doesn't go north and east to Nineveh, where did we decide that was up here? But goes south and west to Joppa. And doesn't just go to Joppa, does he? But then he goes to Joppa uh, so he can get on a boat and go to Tarshish. It doesn't really matter really where Tarshish is. It might be in Spain. The point is it's away. That's the point. He went away. He went away, away. A long, long, long way away. Like Stanley away, you know. (laughs) Long way. But remember how we noted above that the Lord is the God of the whole earth? That that's why he can tell Jonah to go and preach in Nineveh? Because he's the God of Nineveh as much as he's the God of Gath-Hepha near Nazareth? He's not just the God of the East, he's the God of the West. So what does Jonah think he's doing? <laughs> what's, it, what's the plan here, Jonah? God follows him, for God is the Lord of all the earth. Verse four, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. God follows him in judgment in a storm, threatens the whole ship's crew by Jonah's foolish errand. The the sailors panic, verse five. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. They're materially trying to preserve the ship in their panic and they're spiritually calling out to whatever gods they do have in the hope that some rescue might come. Meanwhile, Jonah, Jonah had gone below deck, verse five, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went and said to him, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we won't perish. They, they start then figuring out how they can figure out, how they can sort out what's going wrong. So they cast lots, verse seven, in a superstitious attempt to try and see who to blame. And in this case, God actually uses this method to reveal the truth. It's Jonah. A lot falls on Jonah, verse 7. So they look at him and they ask him, verse 8, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What did you do? Where did you come from? Like whenever, like in a, like a movie, maybe like a scary movie, you know, some little creepy scary kid says, now you've done it, or what did you do? You know, something really bad's going to happen. So we're like at that moment, now you've done it, Jonah. What did you do? What, what, what's going on? Where did you come from? Where's your country? What, what people are you? Explain to us what's going on. Now, it's interesting what Jonah does next from everything we've seen from the guy so far. It's like this switch gets flicked and he just turns into kind of youth group kid or something and just plays the part. It's, it's really weird. Like He's the guy God spoke to and he said, uh-huh, and <laughs> goes the other way. Now, as they say, who are you? The, this switch gets flicked and he suddenly, <clears throat> verse nine, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. It's the correct formula. He's right, you know. In fact, that could be one of the verses of the whole book right there. He should have gone to Nineveh. Why? Because he's a Hebrew and he worships the Lord of the God who made the sea. He couldn't run away from the Lord because he's a Hebrew who worships the Lord who made the land and the sea and so on. So if it's true, Jonah, if that's who you are, Jonah, what on earth are you doing on this ship, man? What did you think was going to happen? He says, you know, the only way to escape the judgment of God is to give up the guilty party. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher and so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. 
It's not human sacrifice here, as if somehow God is hungry for the blood of, an, of a human. Rather, it's saying, the judgment's for me, so abandon me to my fate, is what he's saying. You don't need to have any part with me. You'll be harbouring a fugitive if you keep having a part with me. Of course, there was another way to calm the storm, wasn't there? Jonah could have repented, couldn't he? Could have said, Lord God, I was wrong. You've found me, you've caught me. Um, And could have spared the crew with way less kind of depressive romantic melodrama. I've uh, been reading over the last few years the Anne of Green Gables books with my daughter. I don't know if anyone's a fan of Anne of Green Gables here, like the, the books, a few. Yeah, yeah, don't be ashamed, it's excellent. Um, and, and one of the things with Anne in the books anyway is she just loves the romantical, tragical. Oh, imagine if I got a disease and was on my deathbed and everybody was gathered around me. It would be so romantically tragical. And then um, my true love would vow never to love again for the rest of his life but mourn me forever. Oh, Marilla. <laughs> it seems like there's a bit of that going on here with Jonah. It's like, no, man, you don't need to go in the sea. Just repent. Spare yourself and spare the crew. God is right here in judgment, but you know he can be here in mercy. They don't want to throw him overboard. These sailors come across looking pretty good, I think, don't they? They do their best to get back to land instead, verse 13. But when there was no other chance, it was clearly this work of God. They cry out to God, please, Lord, don't hold it against us. I mean, to be honest, he could have just jumped in too, couldn't he? Why is he making that? (laughs) And the sea becomes calm and they sacrifice to this Lord. They greatly fear the Lord and offer sacrifices to him. Let's again just observe a couple of quick things before we move on briefly to chapter 2. Just make a couple of comments on chapter 2. The first is again, the Lord God is the Lord of all the earth. Picking that up, yeah? Jonah spoke the truth in verse 9. God of Israel, Assyria, Spain, Australia, Malaysia, China, Iran, Estonia, United States. He's the God of your inmost thoughts, your hopes, your fears, your fantasies, your lies, your memories, your experiences. He's the God of your church. The God of Jane Franklin Hall, of your safari browser, of the engineering department and the rafting club. If you're running away from God, that truth is suffocating and scary. If you're running to God, that truth is wonderfully comforting and safe. God's the God of the whole earth. Number two. A second observation from this part of the story is comparing the sailors to Jonah. In chapter one, this contrast gets drawn, doesn't it, between Jonah the Israelite, the Hebrew, the prophet, the sailors, the pagans, the non-Jews, the worshippers of false gods. Notice, they're diligent in the storm. He's lazy and asleep. They're devout in their superstitions, crying out to their gods. He's kind of just nominal. I worship the Lord, the God, the heavens, the sea, blah, blah, blah. They're conscience-stricken. They dare not even hand him over into the ocean, whereas he's in this kind of self-pitying despair, perhaps. It ends with him in the ocean, and them, even if it's just in a kind of superstitious way, they're crying out and worshipping to the Lord. Massive string of contrasts. Compare that to Jonah, who uh, God's word comes to him and he goes down to Joppa and then down into the boat and then down below deck and eventually down below the sea. Down, 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 down. You get the picture? Verse 
Now, on one level, it's, that's a helpful thing to know. You know how at the start I said, you know, you, you go to uni, you notice that the people in the big bad world aren't all as big and bad as you were told. The Bible, it recognises that. All through the Bible, we get these interesting tales of the noble pagan, you know. So you, you will sometimes meet really rotten, disappointing Christians and really noble, admirable atheists. It's, it's not something... They should, have, they should have told you that. I'm sorry they didn't tell you that. <laughs> but, but it is a reality. Yeah? God's ways do lead people to strive for good things. But Christians are flawed. Humans created in God's image can do noble things from all sorts of religious backgrounds. Yeah. But beyond that little observation, it's a key part of the theme of Jonah that we're starting to see now these pagan sailors worship the Lord. Jonah sent to Nineveh to preach against it. What could happen there? Could they? Possibly. Is there a bit of dramatic irony here? Could they also turn back to the Lord? For God is the God of the whole earth. He is the judge of the whole earth. Could he be? Could he be the saviour of the whole earth? Indeed, that's what we know comes with the gospel. Loud and clear, doesn't it? Jesus dying for the sins of the world, sending out his people to the world, the nations of the world. I'm just conscious of time, so I might, um, I might jump into chapter 2 with you, with the brief time remaining. There are some really interesting stuff about Jesus comparing himself to Jonah um, a couple of times in the Gospels, but for the sake of time, we'll, um, we'll um, leave that for now. Um, you can have a look at that, though, in Matthew chapter 8, for example, um, uh, or uh, Luke 12 few places like that you can you could search that up on your phones Jonah in Bible Gateway or something I'll leave that to you let's look finally then at the, um, the, the salvation the prayer for mercy in chapter 2 with the time remaining for judgment comes upon Jonah it's like he's died he's in the depths in the heart of the sea in a watery grave Davy Jones's locker <laughs> And his, his prayer admits as much. I'm in the depths of the grave. Verse 2 of chapter 2. In the deep, in the very heart of the sea, with the breakers coming over me, I'm banished from your sight. Or um, verse 6. In the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth barred me in forever. You brought my life up from the pit. That's where I was, in the pit where my life was ebbing away. Verse 7. He's as good as dead. Under the judgment of God, rightly so. This picture gets used a lot. It gets used a lot in the Psalms. Maybe you've noticed it there before if you've read the Psalms, a fan of the Psalms. Waters coming over me. It's a description of death. Horrible description. You've ever been dumped by massive waves out in a surf beach and not sure whether you can kind of get back up again. It's a horror, fearful feeling, you know. You see those documentaries of the real deep sea diving. It's dark and it's, 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 it's a whole other world, alien, fearful He's dying. He's under the judgment of God. This is the human state outside of the gospel of Jesus. We face death and after death, judgment, the wrath of God. As we said, faithful preaching preaches about the judgment of God. Evangelism prepares the way for the gospel by speaking of the wrath of God. Truthful preaching is honest about the hard themes. But who knows? If the sailors could turn and worship the Lord, as we'll see in chapter 3, Nineveh, 
could Jonah turn back? Because you see, preaching about judgment can lead to repentance. And that's what happens here. Jonah reflects upon his own message. What he knows in his head, he now brings into his heart. He cries out to the Lord. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me from the depths of grave. I called for help. You listened to my cry. Verse four, I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I'll look again toward your holy temple. Verse seven, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. There you go. That's what it's about. Repentance and faith. Turning from sin that leads to ruin, turning back to God in confident trust in his power, his love, his mercy. And Jonah says, he answered me. I cried out to the Lord, he heard me. He answered me from the depths. He turned towards me from the roots of the mountains. He brought my life up from the pit at the end of verse six. Or verse nine, I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vow I'll make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. The fish itself is part of the answer. The Lord provides the fish. Did you notice that? At the end of um, verse, chapter one, verse 17. That even that is a little bit of mercy from God, this huge sea creature a provision from the Lord. And ultimately, he then vomits up the prophet, to vomit a prophet. Verse 10 of chapter two, the Lord commanded the fish and vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. He provided the fish. He preserved Jonah from the belly of the fish. For the Lord is, as chapter four, verse two says, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity, even on Jonah. So when you are faced with overwhelming guilt, sense of failure, hypocrisy, inadequacy, when you are filled with shame and, and worry and fear of the wrath of God, of, of being a phony, of being found out, fear of death, of hell, of maybe I'm not saved after all, how can I be sure? When you're in that depths of that watery pit, in your head, in your heart, in your circumstances. This year, right now, 10 years from now, when you're in that place, know the Lord is there wherever you are because he's the Lord of the whole earth. He's there wherever you end up, however you feel, whatever you've done. And he's merciful, he's gracious, he relents from sending calamity. That's why he sent the Lord Jesus to die for our forgiveness, to rise for our justification. He's sitting right now at the right hand of God, the God-man interceding for any who would cry out to him. He's the Lord of the whole earth. Repent and turn to the Lord, won't you? So what about you guys? What idols do you cling to? What disobediences draw you? What unbelief tugs at you? What guilt weighs you down? Are you a worshipper of God in word only? You know, when called upon, the switch gets flicked and you say the right doctrine? Or are you born again? Is the spirit in you truly trusting in God for your salvation, striving to worship him with your life? It's a big challenge, hey, this book. And it's this delicious mix of Stinging challenge, which points us back to great hope in the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your
for your forgiveness to us. We cry out to you for your mercy to forgive us for sins small and great. To forgive us if we're yet to turn personally to you, to trust in your mercy. We turn now. And as we walk into this year, as we think about how to live for you, worship you, speak of your gospel amongst non-Christian classmates and friends. Help us trust and obey you. Give us power from your spirit to do so. We beg of you. And help us help one another to stay that course, to hear your word and trust your word and follow your ways. We worship you for your truth, your justice and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.